The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is the 19th of February 2019 and um, the, the talk this evening is just the final one in our series of discussions on the climate crisis. Um, it, perhaps in a rather foolhardy way <laughs> I promised to do a kind of summing up after we had had the discussions and um, I'll do my best. Um, especially for the sake of people who weren't here at either of the of the sessions, or was it if you were at one and not the other? Um, but I, I feel a little hesitant because people were very eloquent, and some of the speakers are here now, <laughs> and I'm going to try and um, sum up. And obviously, in the time we have, I can't cover everything that everyone spoke about, but there are some kind of themes that come out, and so um, I'll try and, and pull out a few things that struck me and that um, perhaps can help us move forward from this, this series of discussions. Um, I really felt privileged to hear what people had to say and it, it's, it was um, very much an example of, of the wisdom example in Never Failing Felp of the Sangha that we, we speak about um, in uh, Three Jewels when we chant them. Um, I was really impressed by by the amount of uh, careful thought and intelligence and kindness and care for sentient beings that was behind um, the presentations that were made. Um, it was interesting, this wasn't particularly planned, maybe a little bit planned, but it really sort of unfolded, that we had two presentations that were mostly looking at the macro level, of working at a level of policy and government and that sort of thing. Um, Charles and Celestina, mostly talking about that, not completely, but mostly. And then we had two presentations, we're looking more at the everyday level, and these were Sally and Adrian and Kate and Robin. Um, though, though, of course, the two are interconnected, and we're going to look a bit at that as we go along, I hope. But what I thought I'd first do is just, is just um, pull out some, piece, some bits and pieces from from the, the talks that um, connect with other bits that were said or, or um, I found particularly uh, interesting or helpful. Um, so the first talk we had was from, from Charles, um, who's been working for almost 20 years um, on climate change issue, issues. And one of the first things he said in his talk that uh, is that he's um, continues to grapple with how to communicate um, uh, the whole um, situation, the crisis, to others. And um, this was something that, that Celestina mentioned also, the research that's been done on how important it is to deliver the message in the right way. And if you deliver a kind of doomsday message, it's so much harder for people to hear, people shut down. And probably most people in this room, if not all, have experienced that sometimes with, with, the, um, with uh, presentations of the problem that, 
that can just give rise to, to resistance and denial and despair. And um, so that is an immediate um, flag for us to, to, if we are engaging in this work of, of, of facing climate change and responding to it, climate crisis. Well, by the way, um, how we speak about it is quite important. I try to um, say climate crisis rather than climate change, which is kind of somewhat neutral. Um, global overheating rather than global warming, which sounds fairly innocuous and probably quite nice actually, global warming. Uh, some people say better than better than uh, that, that global warming isn't so good because it suggests only the planet is heating up when in fact we're getting more extremes of both hot and cold. So climate instability is another one that's quite good which catches more what's happening. But anyway, um, what, what, what is flagged by um, both Celestina and, and Charles was the importance of, of um, uh, communicating carefully and in ways that will be heard. And this is actually an old thing from, at least from Japanese culture, probably from, from Chinese culture. There's a whole art to criticizing and delivering difficult messages to people. And what's the point of delivering that message if it isn't heard? So the, this, the, we have to have a kind of wisdom in the way that we communicate um, so that it can be heard. Um, of course, not, it won't always be heard, but at least we try to do our best and we don't just, just um, vent, but, but try to communicate in ways that are, are useful. And um, tied up with this is um, f focusing on, on f positive visions, on, on, and, and this came up in, in various people's um, talks, um, What's the, what, what is the vision of a, of a future that is sustainable? How can we, how can we imagine that? And um, can, we, can we imagine a world with less greed, less hatred, less stupidity, for instance, and work towards that? Um, this can be, this can be um, not only helpful in the way that we communicate, but also um, can help help us, as as Charles said in one of his three kind of summing up things, is focus on the light, um, not turn away from the dark, but at uh, actually, but definitely helpful to also come up with the with the alternatives to the to the um, the, the doomsday scenarios. Um, Charles used the three, uh, the Four Noble Truths as a way of structuring his presentation and I've seen this used on a number of occasions in different Buddhist texts um, and the, 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 the kind of key element of, of that is the Fourth Noble Truth which is the, the way out and just recognizing that we do know what we have to do, you know, that's actually quite clear, we have to reduce emissions. Um, and we're the cause, and that's really good news, because if we're the cause, we can do something about it. Just imagine if there were 20 volcanoes spewing out CO2 into the atmosphere, 
um, and filling, filling it up with uh, greenhouse gases, we wouldn't be able to do much about that. Or if there was an asteroid heading for Earth, we wouldn't be able to do much about that either. But actually, it's a human-created situation, problem. So um, rem just remembering that, you know, it's like, it's like let, let, um, being the, the mind of the human species that can then take responsibility for what's, what's, um, what's going on. Um, solastalgia was a new term for me. I hadn't heard of it before. This was what the, um, the psychologist in Vietnam who Charles saw when he was in a really low place called what Charles was suffering from. And, and the, the de definition he gave in his talk was a form of existential distress caused by environmental degradation, complicated by issues of guilt. So again, sometimes naming something is helpful, just to know that, that this, is, this is really, um, if you've if you got open eyes, it's something that you're likely to suffer from at times. And, and it's, it's a kind of illness. I think of um, the Villa Makurti Sutra, where, where he says at one point, I am sick because beings are sick. It's not strange to be suffering uh, from this, given the conditions that we're in. If we've got open eyes and ears, we will. It's likely where we will will um, be distressed. So Charles ended with. Um, with a um, just saying how how we could turn this around and see it as a great opportunity for we human beings, our species, to make um, an evolutionary leap, to go beyond our, our narrow um, ways of 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 living in the world, and um, taking the next step into into. Um, a greater awareness of our um, our inter interconnectedness and acting out of that awareness. And this is just a, um, a quote from from an article about about the recent um, um, UN report, um, the one that said we have basically 12 years to to get our act together. Um, this article says, there's no sugarcoating it. Keeping warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius will be hard, really hard. But the IPCC report makes it, also makes it clear that the world has the scientific understanding, the technological capacity, and the financial means to tackle climate change. Now what we need is the political will to, to precipitate the unprecedented concerted actions necessary to stabilize the temperature rise below 1.5 degrees. There are substantial economic and development benefits from bold climate, ac climate action, and even more importantly, limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees is imperative 
falling short would lock in climate impacts so catastrophic our world would be unrecognisable. Governments, businesses and others have the clarity they need. Now it's time for them to step up to the challenge. And if you, and if you think about it, that, that, and this is something else that Charles mentioned, well, that if you think about the, the climate accords, given even their, their stopping and starting and their, and their inadequate levels and all of that, how extraordinary that the whole world is coming together and trying to come to agreement about this. If we're doing it badly, it's because we haven't had a lot of practice at this. But, but the fact that, that that effort is being made is, is amazing. To think that all the, all the human beings, well not all, that's the problem, but a great proportion of, of the, the governments and, and the leaders around the world are at least attempting to address this issue. So um, we can take, we can take um, uh, hope from that. Okay, so um, I want to go now to the to the second of our our um, talks that was looking at this this the macro level. Um, so Celestina's talk, um, I was really struck by that that um, fact of of a hundred companies having con contributed 71% of the emissions since 1988. In fact, I came across it quoted in another article shortly afterwards. And um, the, the fact about the, the jet fuel uh, is also a staggering one that I, I'd heard before when I asked um, Joanna Macy through a friend um, about flying and she had, had said the same thing about the the, the military planes. Um, the US Air Force is the single biggest consumer of fuel. Um, uh, it uses quarter of the world's jet fuel and um, the, the, the way the planes burn the fuel is just staggering. Um, Celestina mentioned 10 minutes of fuel from a, uh, a B-52 um, generates the CO2 that it would take for an average, the average use of a car used for a year. So it's a huge contribution and it's a very um, sobering one to realize how expensive war is for us in so many ways. You think of all the human energy that that goes into warplanes and and weapons and um, all the all the fossil fuels as well, and recognizing that this 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 is something about our human nature that we 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 try to address in different ways, um, and one of the ways is through our practice and trying to. Um, pacify ourselves, demilitarize our, our minds and our, and our um, communities as well. So just the cost of war, whether nuclear or, or conventional. 
Some people have suggested that we are already in World War III and that World War III is not the war against terrorists uh, but the war against the biosphere. And that includes a lot of, of human beings as well as um, animals and plants and, and um, uh, ecosystems. That we're, we're already doing a great violence uh, to the earth and its inhabitants, including, including humans, um, through uh, the way that we're living. Um, somebody shared a, an article about about um, animal consciousness with me and it mentioned that the Jains, they're an a Indian sect that was came into existence around the same time as Buddhism, they feel that, that driving in a car is a very violent process. You know, you kill insects when you drive, you, you crush things, you emit CO2, all these different things. So they, they, there are Jains who will only walk, they won't actually go in a vehicle. So we, we are waging war in lots of different ways on our, on our um, beings, many beings. So the, the, um, the big message that, that um, came from Celestina's talk was just, um, it was kind of um, a cautionary note in recognizing that um, individual actions um, are important but not enough if we're going to change the direction of this oil tanker. Um, she also mentioned that um, the, the little bit of sort of um, social research about people who've been to church tipping less when they go out to brunch after they've been to church and the, the, the guests that they're probably feeling virtuous and so don't feel they need to be as generous as they might otherwise be. And um, so we just have to check that, our, that, that what we're doing um, isn't just sort of to make us feel better but um, is is effective, and and that and I was impressed by the by um, speakers having looked into this in quite some depth, and this is useful stuff that that can be shared in the sangha uh, and help other people make choices that are that are based in in, in um, something really solid. Um, Celestina gave some examples. Uh, one was Ireland has been the, was the first country to divest from fossil fuels, and then a number of, of um, things that Singapore has done, such as l limiting the number of cars allowed, and then people have to bid for them, so um, they have to really want them and pay a lot to get get them. Um, I think there are, at least when I was there, there were also tolls on the roads that people paid. So people paid every time they used the road. So lots of disincentives. And of course, good public transport. And they hope to have all their, 80% of their buildings carbon neutral in the, within the next 20 years, which is um, quite amazing.
So um, I think another useful point was about skeptics and how often people's skepticism are tied up with their identity. And so just giving people the facts, and I think we all understand this because the facts about the, the climate change have been around enough, um, but if, if it's not a matter of a rational um, argument uh, mostly, but um, trying to um, appeal to people where they are and, and on, a, on a heart level, um, because the people's identity is, is a tied up with, with um, a sense of, of belonging, um, um, images of oneself which, which might be at odds to, uh, to um, changing to uh, a more sustainable future. came across um, somebody shared shared an article about about um, individual versus collective action <coughs> and in the article it says of course we need people to consume less and innovate low carbon alternatives build sustainable farms invent battery storages spread zero waste methods but individual choices will most count when the economic system can provide viable environmental options for everyone, not just an affluent or an intrepid few. I think this is, this is an important point. We, we are quite privileged and we may be able to make choices which um, many other people can't. So, so working f for uh, sustainability for, for everyone and seeing the connections to different um, problems in the world, the ways in which, um, for instance, re refugee crisis is, has behind it droughts and, and political instability in the countries with those droughts. So connecting through, um, so we can, we can see the interconnectedness of these um, various types of problems. Now turning to our two um, more everyday level presentations. Um, again, the issue of how to communicate around climate change. Um, Adrian mentioned that it, um, talking about what they do isn't something that he does very much. Um, unless asked, which he was. We, we twisted his arm <laughs> to, to speak at, at, um, the other night. But there's, there's quite a lot of wisdom in this not speaking unless asked. asked. Uh, for instance, with, in Dharma practice, you don't proselytize. You, you would talk about it if somebody asks you, but you don't go around trying to, to convert people. Um, because people have to be ready to hear. And so um, you wait until, until there's that interest, until that there's an opening. So that's one side of the story. On the other side of the story, we are um, in an environment, a media environment, which is very unhelpful to making change. So 
getting out positive examples um, so that other people can hear about them is is also important and something that we we need to consider um, and they very much relate to the to the, the kind of interface between personal action and uh, collective action um, the local and the global um, and here and here's an example just one one example of how how that works in um, Detroit, it's the whole inner city is, is, is completely kind of gutted and destroyed. And a group of people got together in a, in a poor black neighborhood and started planting gardens in abandoned, on abandoned properties. And this sort of talk, took um, hold and all of it, all, many other good things came out of this um, start of planting planting gardens for people who didn't have access to, to good food because no no supermarkets would be in that area and they would only have uh, fast food stores and liquor stores and so something beautiful happened with these gardens and then people heard about it so that they then copied it in other locations and so it started off as something local and something small um, a small group of people but that can be very, very powerful if people hear about it and they, they can say, this has worked there, let's try it in, in our um, city or in our neighborhood. Another one I just saw the other day, somebody sent it to me, it was about um, mini gardens in Paris where you can apply to the council for a license and you get three years and you can take over a little plot like a, a verge or a border and um, plant things and I guess you get your license taken away if you're just letting it go to weeds or something but you have three years and then you can apply again and it's very easy to get the, um, the um, permits granted. So they're little things but they, they, can, they can change the way um, a street feels um, and sometimes um, they help with local um, delinquent behavior or this sort of thing that can really really transform things in unexpected ways um, a lot of the other stuff in this was was very very sort of practical examples of, of, of um, how to to change one's life um, We, will go, we are going to get these written up and um, we'll, we'll put them, we're going to have, we'll put these things as PDFs on a, on a web page. Um, burnout was something that, that um, Adrian Sally talked about and um, It's one of those things that, that um, people can really struggle with. Emotional, the emotional challenge of facing these, these difficult issues and seeing how much there is that needs to be done and feeling like, like we're not doing enough. enough. 
Um, we don't have enough time, there's always more to do and we're fitting it in and in between other things we're trying to do. And this is, this is one area where, where perhaps um, our spiritual practice can be helpful in learning that that um, we we learning that to accept that we have limits and that we can't do everything. Um, then the then the question arises. Out of that, the question may arise: Well, um, if I can't do everything, um, how do I how do I how do I know what to do? How to um, where to, to work, where to respond. And um, uh, originally I was going to base this, this article on a, on a piece by Stephanie Kaza, who's an academic working in the area of um, uh, environmental issues. Um, she's written a number of books, including one called Dharma Rain, came out in about 2000, which is um, about Buddhist sources for environmentalism. And she's written others, one about talking to trees. Um, but anyway, in this article by her, she talks about um, responding to students who ask her, what, what should I do? What can one person do? She says, every semester, my, teachers, my students say, but what can one person do? If I don't have some good answers, they won't be able to move forward with the important work of saving the planet. So when they ask me, where should I begin? I usually reply, do what you care about the most. Since the problems are endless, no one can possibly address all of them. It is important to have a place to actually accomplish something, to be grounded in the physical, political and economic realities of a specific situation. Because most environmental work is incremental and cumulative, you need a lot of motivation to hang in there over the long haul. I re recommend listening for what calls you to respond. This is a good way to identify personally meaningful work. And yes, that work can be Buddhist practice. And then she goes on to offer some more suggestions in, in, in detail, which we'll get to if we have time. But I think here, uh, of um, something that Thich Nhat Hanh said um, when asked a similar kind of question, you know, about how much there is to do and how overwhelmed, overwhelming it can be to to try and decide how we respond. And and he said, um, some of you may have heard this before. Basically, he said, pick one thing and do it with your whole heart. And and any time that we do that we are connecting to all the other issues because, because they do connect up and the more we look, the more we see the connections. So to pick what we care about the most, what, what we have, a, you know, we could say a karmic affinity for and, and then do that and recognizing that it's small, that we're limited, we're, we're, we're single human beings uh, but if we if we apply ourselves and if we join with others, that's another important part of this. That we is very limited what we can do on our own. But if we get together with others, then that can become really powerful. 
and here also we see another way in which the local and the um, the, the global or the, the macro level can join up because if you if you engage in some local issue fully then uh, you will you will um, develop a kind of knowledge of that issue and a kind of authority too and that can stand you in good stead in when you um, engage with um, governments or local bodies or other things, other um, authorities in that you will have a knowledge of that area and be able to um, communicate clearly about this particular thing. So the two, these two are related, the, the changes that we make in our lives and that, that bigger picture, the, the global political level. Um, Sally mentioned um, trying to be be aware of our different kinds of psychological baggage that we may um, bring into our work, um, and she mentioned she mentioned um, f feeling like she, um, she was a burden on the earth, and that that engaging in she found um, the therapy very helpful just as Charles did in, in going to the, um, the psychologist he saw in, in Vietnam who burst into tears when he heard Charles's story even though Charles was telling it quite dispassionately. Uh, some of you may have been here when John Seed, um, uh, the uh, director of the uh, Rainforest Action was here, I think it was a year, two years, maybe two years ago now and he talks a lot about realize, having the moment of realizing that he was in fact the voice of the rainforest. That it wasn't that he was um, John Seed advocating for the rain, rainforest so much as he was um, the rainforest speaking through John Seed. Uh, and I think this can be a, a very helpful thing to, to understand in the work we do. We're, we, we are, in a sense, we can be, we can, we can become uh, part of the Earth's effort to heal itself and the, and the Earth's effort to heal us as well. I heard, heard a, um, a, a national uh, radio program about a Polish man who was um, in one of the camps as a, a fairly young boy, a teenager, and um, he was a musician, and he um, recorded, learnt uh, songs from um, many of the, the prisoners in, in this camp. Um, many of them were Jewish, and they said to him, you're Polish, you're going to survive, we're going to die but we want you to um, take our music with you. And this became his life's um, work after he did survive the camps. He got out and he um, knew um, scores and scores and scores of songs. And he spent his life um, singing them, recording them, performing them, um, so that, the, that, that part of the culture of the, of the people who had been um, gassed 
could survive. And he, he took this, this, this role very, very um, extremely seriously, like he had been passed a torch and that he was, he was carrying that torch along. And, and this, this situation we're in is, is, <laughs> is, is no less urgent. Um, that that all the the uh, that the, the beauties of this world are are um, not destroyed. Just moving on to, to the, the last of our, our four presentations um, from, from Robin and Kate. And um, some boats here somewhere. Definitely have too many bits of paper here. Oh well, never mind. Um, One of the things that struck me about this was how, how um, so many things, um, uh, how Roman and Kate changed so many things in, in really such a short space of time. But because they all kind of locked together and in, into relationship, um, it's, it also seems like it was a, a really a really organic kind of unfolding of a new way of of um, living um, um, so that it, it was it's you know I may have not have felt that way uh, in the process it may have felt quite difficult but it seems to have been a whole lot of things that kind of fell into place um, One of the uh, one of the, the four different um, see, um, Robin described there being as sort of four aspects to the, these changes. One was uh, permaculture. Um, how do we how do we um, sort of rejig our culture so that that we can live um, permanently on this planet? 
um, from a Buddhist point of view, we could say virtually permanently, maybe, because <laughs> there's nothing that's that's completely permanent. But but the the, the we understand the spirit of it, um, and trying to. Uh, the second one was about having a 2015 New Year's resolution to do something every day for sustainability. Um, in other words, living it, not just not just as a um, as something abstract, but something something lived day by day, not not um, l not losing sight of it in the midst of all our busyness. Um, mortality. The, the, the having both their mothers dying in the same year, and and realizing that that our time is limited, and to be to be living the way the the way we dream of living in that not waiting, not, not the time was now, and then the the element of Zen practice, the something opening up through that sitting that regular sitting, so that it was possible to. To make this change and um, into a different way of being in the world, and um, Robin ended um, talking about this um, this aspect of it, the Zen practice, uh, by saying it was maybe a little bit harder um, to to keep aware of. Um, the connection between the sitting and uh, working for climate change. And she mentioned she mentioned um, one of Joanna Macy's uh, books, somebody by Active Hope by Joanna Macy and Christopher Johnson. And um, in that book and in other places, um, Joanna Macy has talked about um, sort of these three different approaches to um, working for sustainability, holding actions which are protective, so um, looking after a waterway or um, contributing to a conservation group or um, uh, protecting trees, um, a stand of trees, all these sorts of things. Then there's creative actions. So this is where the, the, um, the politics and policy come in, um, working for legislation, um, uh, joining transition towns group, or, or um, she didn't mention this one, but um, civil disobedience would probably, would probably um, go in here as well. Uh, speaking truth to power, and then the final one um, shifts in consciousness. All the ways that we we um, need to change our perceptions and values, and um, to to thoroughly, deeply know the nature of the self. Uh, it's um, the way in which everything is, is dependent on everything else and flowing and changing. And this last one in particular is where we can, um, where our, our Zen practice can, can be so valuable.
as well as in, 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 in kind of fortifying us for staying focused on, on um, very distressing subject often. So uh, both of these. And I'd just like to um, reread um, the quote that um, we finished that first session on. This is from the Act of Hope. It's talking about these three, these three different approaches. These three dimensions of the great turning offer a structure that extends the range of activism beyond the important work of campaigning. We are using the term activist here to mean anyone who is active for a purpose bigger than personal gain. Whenever we act from bodhicitta, the desire that all life be well, we are being an activist. This includes all endeavors to build a sustainable culture along with everything that provides a shift in consciousness and perception supporting this. Each of us needs to find our place of greatest fit the place where our greatest gladness and the world's deepest needs meet. think we need I need to add anything more to that because it really it really comes to the crux of the matter but um, as a community one of the things we're going to do is start this group um, provisionally called the green team but we may find another name for it perhaps echo sattvas um, this is the body sattvas who are who who are um, particularly focused on these ecologi ecological issues. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to back up this, this green team by um, uh, devoting some of staff time to, um, to the organizing of it. We have to, we'll take, we're just doing our annual plan at the moment and we'll take a proposal to the trustees for their, for their approval. And really this, this organization, this little group or committee, or what we want to call it, um, will be able to decide itself how, how it proceeds, how it responds. And there may be different things that different people want to do in terms of, of finding their, their fit. Um, but we'll, we'll be looking at things like ways the Zen Center can, can reduce consumption, CO2 emissions, um, what um, kinds of guardianship might be, opportunities there might be right around this area, um, just sharing stuff around uh, divestment and um, other issues and, and I didn't get to that, uh, we've run out of time, but um, some very useful information um, uh, from Kate about about and and Robin about the all the the research they did and the the resources they found for for divestment and that's divestment is another example of a of a, a personal thing that you can do that has um, major effects at the macro level um, as well so so all these different things 
um, and hope to kind of focus them in this in this group um, and also as part of that we can share other the um, organizations that people may f wish to be involved in we mentioned some of them like 350.org market forces um, also extinction rebellion is another one that's that is starting up in in uh, New Zealand which is t um, involved in um, civil disobedience so um, hopefully good things will come out of this and um, and uh, this is just the beginning not an end but just a start to um, new efforts by the Sangha so um, We'll stop there and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to Dharma gaze beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.